MSW Media. This is Ed Lee, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn Podcast. A glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. You know, I put the screams in there because it's Halloween, and I put Matthew McConaughey in here because I always put him in, and regular listeners to the show know that, but it's also to tease something very exciting. The actual Matthew McConaughey is going to be on this very program. Our next episode will feature Matthew McConaughey along with Eddie Russell, the master distiller of wild turkey. I am super pumped about that. Really excited to have both those guys on the show. Uh, but first, we've got a show to do now. It's going to be a goddamn good one at that, too. Uh, we've got interviews on tap with not one, but two fantastic musical acts, Pearl and Mipso. Love them both. Uh, got to chat with them a little while back, and it's I'm very excited. Also, in studio with me, a surprise guest who is the host of a new podcast that I'm really jazzed about. So uh, let's get to it, shall we? Um, football season is over. Now, that's not the case, of course. We all know football season is in full swing. I just watched my beloved Philadelphia Eagles get the shit kicked out of them by the Cowboys, so I know football season's still happening. But football season is over were the four words Hunter S. Thompson scrawled in black marker at the top of a grim missive he penned to his wife before he shot himself in the head back in February of 2005. He wrote 67. That is 17 years past 50, 17 more than I needed or wanted. Now, I knew Hunter for many years, and I last spoke to him two days before he turned out the lights forever. It was a Friday night, and I called from Los Angeles to let him know I was headed to Aspen the following Thursday. We made dinner plans at Butch's uh, Lobster Shack in Snowmass Village, not far from Woody Creek, where Hunter lived. He asked me to bring along a bottle of tequila he liked that wasn't readily available in Colorado. It's called El Tesoro. Sure, man. I'll bring it. See you soon. In a brilliant eulogy he penned for Rolling Stone, Hunter's friend, the historian Doug Brinkley, dubbed Hunter the patron saint of righteous rage for the voiceless outcast. Doug wrote, With a fierce vengeance, he lashed out, creating chaos from the mundane, psychedelic sparks out of the terminally placid. Most of us would never drive our Jeep through plate glass windows or whiff rotten cocaine in a huddle house parking lot. So Hunter did it for us. Mayhem was his calling. 
though I hesitate to compare myself to Hunter as a writer, I have no problem comparing myself to him as a man. Like him, I've always felt more comfortable, although there's often very little that's comfortable about it, operating beyond the fringes of polite society, out where people are fucked up and crazy in myriad ways, where there are sleazy bars scattered all over the place filled with drunken rejects and outcasts wearing five-cent mustache-ride t-shirts while chowing down on shit-covered pretzel mix and having sex behind dumpsters, where you meet the porn stars and the strippers you almost marry and learn how to handle yourself in a street fight one bloody nose at a time, where mayhem can come at you in the form of unsavory fight promoters who don't like you hitting on their hookers or tatted-up religious crusaders fielding, wielding Fender Stratocasters instead of Bibles. People drink out there beyond the fringes because, well... Life's more fun that way, or more tolerable at least, or because in rare instances, they make a living writing and talking about it. Hmm. And with that, I want to bring on the man who was supposed to join me and Hunter for that dinner that never happened at Butch's Lobster House. He is the host of a brand new podcast it's brand new to the point where it might not even be out yet but it's coming i swear uh a podcast that's all about the dear doctor called hunter gatherers he is one of my oldest friends and i do mean old curtis robinson you know we have to change that to (laughs) longest term friends it's uh yeah although you know accuracy is something but you know that's uh on some bad days, that's always been my theory of uh, Hunter's suicide. I get asked that a lot. Like, uh, what was it? I think he was looking forward to, to spending an evening with us, and I think that did it. <laughs> I think ultimately he was like, Jesus, yeah. I'm really looking forward to Dan and Curtis. At, but fuck it. I always tell I'm that done. story. I'm I, done. I'll tell that story in like a really poignant way about having that final conversation with him on the phone. And, and you know, people, yeah, I can see it. Like people, sometimes they start like almost welling up, and then I go and... God damn, he just really didn't want to have dinner with me. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, you know, you never know what puts someone over the top. It's, uh, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm it's good. good to see you. And this is exciting. This is an exciting time for you. You've got the podcast coming out. Tell us about Hunter Gatherers. Hunter Gatherers is the idea that uh, Hunter stories are a different thing. It's not, I mean, it, you have this certain idea about uh, uh, hunter stories. My favorite hunter story that, that we've done, and but you know, it's a hunter story, and you must have this. I mean, once people know you, that you know Hunter, or you knew Hunter, um, you know, I always have that thing where you say, well, Hunter told me when he was alive, is like, as opposed to when he was dead, you know. <laughs> so, so you have this thing where people tell you their stories. My favorite story, and I can't find the guy. And if he's listening to this, he should he should try to give us a call. Was this driver? This guy. He said, "Yeah, yeah." He said, "I met Hunter Thompson. I was this driver. He came to my college, and I had to drive out to the to the airport and get him." I'm like, "Oh God," you know, because <laughs> you know this could go anywhere. It could happen. So, yeah. so he says, "So my." My journalism professor goes with me, and Hunter gets in the car, and the guy's asking him a lot of things. Subjectivity, is that the same thing as, as uh, advocacy? 
uh, isn't objectivity our our sole defense against the blah blah blah? And he said, he said, excuse me, excuse me. Um, I had a lot of beer on the plane. Yeah, <laughs> I need to. But uh, uh, so he said, we stop beside the road. Hunter gets out and relieves himself. Right, he gets in. He's got a rock. He's got like a rock the size, like half the size of your head, right? Okay. And I'm like, oh, this could go anywhere now. And so the guy says, says, so I, asked, uh, Mr. Thompson, you don't mind me asking, what, what's with the rock? And, and he says, so, so Hunter looks at me and says, the rock is if this motherfucker doesn't shut up. <laughs> I said, well, did, did the guy say anything? He said the guy never said a word. He said, he said the professor. He said he never said a word. He said. You know, and I just love that as a hunter story. And you run into these people who have these hunter stories, like like some guys. I know some guys who started a, a restaurant because they they were the handlers for a hunter one night, and they, they, so they they stopped what they were doing. They were going to go into business administration or something, and they they started a string of uh, of uh, brew pubs. There are all these people who have these great hunter stories. Not everyone that met Hunter. Not all the stories are about meeting Hunter, although he that that's kind of the the. You main mean thing. You're, you're talking about the people that are going to be on the show, like to talking? Most yeah. of the people on the show. I already have one person who has a great story, great story about a Hunter Memorial a couple days after he died. It's great. It's at the Improv. It's got Andrew Dice Clay in a fist fight. And don't, then the don't re- give too much of it away here, man. You got to see. You got some people on yours. I, I I did. I told you a story. For one of the first episodes, whenever whenever this thing comes on about the almost being uh, murdered, killed, oh, murdered would be murdered. Right. I probably oh, I probably no, would have no, deserved no, no, I would have no. deserved it. No. I almost got shot in the face. The, by chances, the chances of him being convicted on murder, I no, did. Yeah, no, and no, again, no. I don't want to give that one away. So when is the when is the podcast happening? Well, in sometime in November, I hope. Well, you know, we were sure to be out last month, but uh, as befitting a Hunter S. Thompson podcast uh we love the sound of deadlines blowing by our uh our ears uh yeah 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 let's say thanksgiving why not why not thanksgiving's a great thing um we will give thanks okay well i'm hoping it's gonna happen soon now you you knew hunter for a lot of years uh long time uh, yeah, about yeah, the same yeah. as me. I mean, we both knew him about the same amount of time. It's funny, man. Somebody sent me something. I wanted. I, I thought I'd surprise you. I, this somebody was uh, archiving some of Hunter's. You know, you know uh, I don't like surprises. <laughs> well, this is one of Hunter's. Uh, so he used to record a lot of stuff on the on the um, his messages on the. On if the, if by a lot of stuff you mean everything. Everything. So this yeah. was a this is kind of yeah, cool for me. The, what what are the things that that you know he he you know he always had that uh, strange relationship with Richard Nixon, but one of them was recording. He has all these. God knows if you just not that anyone would, but if you just cut out the shit that that I'd said on yeah. Hunter recordings, a, a horrible, horrible things. Well, this one was uh, I, I can't remember. As a movie producer, they were trying to make uh, the Rum Diary. Oh Lord! And I know, and I think at one point I was tapped to write it. As if that was going to happen. For about, for about three hours. For about three hours. Three hours. I think it was so, a Thursday night, Dan. I think it was called, a Thursday night. But you know, I remember you, you like went home and wrote it. <laughs> yeah, I went home and banged it out. So this is funny, just to give you guys out. This is kind of rare, folks. You don't get to hear this right. Here's Hunter, and I was there, and a woman whose name we can't remember. Yeah, when yeah. they say Dan, it's you, right? We had a, uh, we had a uh, kind of a very active uh, confrontation in court today with... Uh, 
some greed heads around here. Yeah, Dan, Dan was saying something about that. Why? What were the issues? Well, they were trying to fuck with my front yard. Oh, great. Well, they, they got uh, swapped, you know, beaten like dogs. Oh, really? So you fought it? Oh, of course. Good. Good, good, good. And did they back down? Well, yeah, yeah. Say the least. Oh, good. Yeah, Dan was... I can only imagine. Funny stuff, man. It's a, you know, it brings back so many memories being there. And then, and you know, there were always these um, beefs. A lot of beefs. Hunter had a lot of beefs. I don't even remember what he was talking about with the trying to fuck with the front lawn. I thought... I, thought, I think they were trying to widen the road. Oh, that's what it might have been, trying to ride. Okay, yeah. All right. That makes sense. I'm not, be, I, I have no be, idea what would, I did. It would be easier to rezone downtown LA. <laughs> you know, you think you're a homeless problem here. The zoning's a problem. Wait, wait, wait to deal with that. But, you know, um, but you're right. There, there were always a lot of beefs. I always, always, you know, that was because, uh, you know, Hunter, Hunter's a Kentucky boy. Yes. We yeah. believe in feuds. I'm from Kentucky myself. And uh, we believe in feuds. And I think he believed in feuds. I think he believed in the righteousness of feuds. Well, he, he loved a good fight. And, you know, that was a uh, a period of time when there was a lot going on. I mean, Hunter, Hunter had kind of dropped out of, for a while. And then and then he was re reawoken, I guess, uh, politically, certainly, when they were trying to expand the airport in Aspen. And Hunter got involved in that. I was involved in that. Curtis was involved in that. And then I, you know, you could see that fire, man. He just, he was ready to take on everybody. And it was, such, it, it was, it was such a great uh, thing to, to sit there and watch him uh, uh, apply what he knew about politics, because, you know, he, he believed that politics was the art of controlling your environment. And he, he intended to control his environment and uh, uh, his environment did not include what he would have said was uh, uh, industrial tourism and, uh, uh, the the tactics and and the wisdom that he had i mean he he picked all that up from uh uh covering presidential races so when you saw that applied locally you just realized this is a guy who had uh his first foray into aspen politics was not the sheriff's race it was the mayor's race and then then he goes into the uh he himself ran for sheriff and it's one of the things that I think people miss is that he was a candidate once. And I think that I think there's this absolute true thing that if you were a candidate, uh, uh, candidates are this have a bond that those of us who have never been the candidate, you know, I've worked on a lot of I, I have been a candidate. You know this. I That's ran for that, mayor I'm of Aspen. Le I'm leading for that. Those of you who have been a candidate, uh, it's totally different. If you're the candidate, it's totally different from those of us. You know, I've always yeah. said people come and they say, Someone wants me to run for, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's the Senate or, or dog catcher, although that would be an important position uh, or whatever. It, the correct answer is always, why don't I be the campaign manager and you be the candidate? <laughs> but you, you know, that's one of the things. It's one of the things you always had in common with it is, is that, that people who have been a candidate we had a, there was a bond there. That's and how there we were, met. There were, he, there were hundreds of people who voted for you. He he. I don't that's how we say, met. I don't mean to say that like it's crazy. He sought me out after I ran for mayor of Aspen, and uh, there was an issue where they, in the next election, they wanted to expand the airport in Aspen so they could land jets, bigger jets there. And uh, of course, a lot of the people that lived in the 
in the underneath where the, the flight path coming into Aspen were the likes of Hunter S. Thompson and John Oates and Don Henley and Glenn Fry and Jack Nicholson. All these that people was, that had, was not Dan our leading talking point. Yeah, well, they did our not leading talking yeah, point. It was, was a growth issue. It was a growth <laughs> issue. But the real issue was they didn't want these fucking planes coming over their over their homes. And so at the time, I was a young columnist in Aspen, and I had a pretty good following there. And they thought that they, the combination of Hunter and I could rouse these kids to get out and vote. And uh, because, they, frankly, they were going to lose that election because the only people that voted were the people that had business interests there. And they certainly wanted the airport uh, expanded because they wanted more business. So the only way to beat it was to bring in the youth and say, fuck it, man, make it a growth issue. And that's what we did. And we won. And every promise that was made to me by all those rich people was broken. No, I'm kidding. I did actually run into, I don't know if you remember that, this. That's absolutely not true. No, I happen to know those rich people made no promises. Made no promises. Well, I oh, did. Oh, they might have made I did. All right. So I'll tell a story. I'll tell a story out of school here. So Irving Azoff, very famous uh, music producer, movie producer. Google he, him. Google yeah. him on your own time. One of the most, you know, uh, best known certainly in the music and he represents he reps the eagles bon jovi everybody so at the time irving said to me look if you help us out here you know i've got my movie production company i've got all this well, you know i'm gonna i'm gonna take care of you whatever you need and here we are 30 years later <laughs> nothing so i went to a i went to a party recently in los angeles bon jovi was there they were launching his uh rosé Hampton water. Of course they were. And so, first of all, this is really funny. I look over, and two guys talking to each other, two old guys, Irving Azoff and Robert Kraft, flanked by just huge guys. And uh, am I looking, thinking to myself, <laughs> well, yeah, of course, it makes sense, because the, the combined net worth of these two guys is probably $4 billion. So I, I'm, I'm going to go up and talk to Irving. I went up, he no fucking idea who I was. I, I, I reintroduced myself and I said, you know, remember the, you know, the thing in Aspen? And yo, yeah. Yeah. He had no idea. Right. I don't think he remembered this thing happened. Yeah. We, we defeated that thing and Don Henley and Glenn Fry and all your friends, everybody could sleep better at night knowing those planes weren't going to be flying over. And he said, yeah. And then I actually said what, what I just told you. I said, you know, you remember you made me a promise. You helped me out. Oh, you did that? Oh, yeah. And I You've said. You lost your mind. And, I, lost and he your started mind. smiling. He starts looking at He smiles like this uneasy smile. And then he's looking around like, is there someone here to <laughs> extricate me from this, help me get out of this? And I said, I, I go, yeah, man, I got a couple scripts. And, I, and then I said, I'm just kidding. Even though I do have a couple scripts. I was like, ah, I'm just. Did you have them with you? Kidding. Yeah, oh, yeah. You had them in, in your bag. Pocket. Here we go. <laughs> Thanks. Irving, thank you, man. I'm finally going to cash in on, on all that work. You know but, what? When you say that, it makes me want to go back and just have their let's just rezone all of all their homes hunter hunter's dead he's not gonna be that mad at us well let's just go rezone it for condos no i know something man you know it would take us about three years but we could rezone the entire valley you you bring up an interesting point about hunter being dead because when he was alive we just remember there was this fear we were all gripped by that you just never would tell stories about what happened at hunter's house or any of that kind of stuff because by the rules of the he kitchen may kill you talk talking about the kitchen made the rules about fight clubs seem relatively <laughs> flexible you know it was the rules of the kitchen which uh, they were the kitchen was the nerve center that's where all the action happened at hunter's house it was actually literally hunter's kitchen we should say that it's uh when you went into hunter's house there was 
this beautiful living room with a fireplace and this wonderful couch. And it was, it was very, we didn't go there much. I was there. You go there like once a month in the living room, in the living room. Uh, the actual fun was in, uh, in the nerve center was Hunter's kitchen. Um, there was once a play. I worked on a play that was called Hunter's kitchen. And, 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 uh, they were going to replicate the kitchen and what went on there, but, no one would talk to well, them. Well, the you know, the last time I was in the kitchen was, um, and people out there, you might be familiar with this, was kind of a, got a lot of news coverage. So about six months to the, not not about, six months to the day after Hunter uh, killed himself, Johnny Depp put on this elaborate memorial at, at Hunter's place out in Al, Al Creek, or Woody Creek, uh, Al Farm out in Woody Creek. And um, it was... It was inspired by a documentary that Hunter had done, uh, the BBC did on Hunter, and he stood in the backyard, and he and he stands there, and he says, oh, hey, when I die, uh, we're going to have a uh, giant uh, cannon back here. Uh, it's going to be uh, taller than the uh, Statue of Liberty. We're going to blow my ashes all over, the, all over the valley. So Johnny makes this happen, right? Builds this elaborate set out back, like a, a lounge, right? What'd you call it? Like a, a bar lounge kind of thing. And he brought in it, it was it was a thing of beauty, but it, it I mean, you know, Johnny's a Kentucky boy too. Yeah. And um uh, it it reminded me of someone who who took the Bible literally. And he took his wishes literally and he he by God did it. And people say he spent a million or and and, and, and some published reports say he spent five million. Okay. I don't I bet he doesn't know. I bet he doesn't give a shit. No. But here's what I'll tell you is, uh, yeah, what they did is they brought in um, very professional set people. And what they did is they took the tents that were outside and, and they made they made like uh, reproductions of the kitchen. There were all these refrigerators that were. Where did they find those? I don't know. I don't it's know how insane. they did. And uh, it was they, it was an, and all these people were there. You know, John Kerry, Jan Wenner, Lyle Lovett, a bunch of you know everybody. Bill Murray, uh, Brian Doyle. So <clears throat> to get to the kitchen part of it, we can because I want to save that for a future episode of Hunter Gatherers. But I will tell the kitchen story. One there was one item in the kitchen that was a, a particular fascination to me the entire time that I knew Hunter. He had a Polaroid picture pinned up over the kitchen sink, yes. and it was a Polaroid of him and John Belushi. And we all estimate that this was the last picture ever taken of John Belushi alive. Because And tell me if I'm getting this wrong, Curtis, but my uh, Belushi drove cross-country uh, going out from the East Coast to California, and he stopped at Hunter's house, and he spent a day or two with Hunter, and then he left, and he went to L.A., and two two days later, he's dead, right? They got that right? That, yeah. That, yeah. I think that I think that's accurate to what I've heard. So there, I don't want to be called into deposition, Dave. Yeah, so there, don't think that, I did a little research, and I don't think there are any pictures taken around the time that, that Belushi died. But it was a Polaroid. It, it was, was a like, Polaroid, it was like and a, it was sitting there, and it was this amazing picture. So, the, again, the festivities were out back. They built this out behind the house, so... I went into the house. Uh, I'm an adult. I can actually tell the story. I think I went into the house with a, a female friend of mine to uh, do drugs, c- cocaine. <laughs> it was a Hunter Thompson party. You have to do some cocaine. So um, 
I I didn't. I did. Yeah. So we went in there, and no one is. No one would talk to me. No one is in the house. No one is in the house. So she goes to the bathroom, and while she's in the bathroom, I'm standing there, and I'm I'm definitely in an altered state. Um, You want some more whiskey? Here, let me give you some of this. I should mention that we are. This is a show called What We're Drinking. We are drinking good Kentucky bourbon from our friends at Michter's because it's a Hunter Thompson thing. You got to drink. You got to drink Kentucky, but you got to drink whiskey. All right, so. I'm standing there and I'm staring at the picture and it's like this, there's an angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other and they're going, you know, the devil's going, take it. Or maybe it was the angel. I don't know which one, but take it, take the picture. You know, you know, Hunter would want you to have it. You'll treasure it. You'll... And then the other, no, you can't, you can't steal from a dead man. You can't steal. And, and I kind of felt like there was, there were some other things, other things. No, no, no. The actual saying is you can't libel a dead man. You can't. Okay. Well then, damn See, it. where were you damn. when I needed you? Yeah, well, if you had called me, I would well, have I, you know, the thing was, I felt like there was going to be some legal wrangling over Hunter stuff. And this thing's going to end up in a box somewhere in a warehouse, which is probably where it still is. Yeah. And I, uh, and I, I went, I grappled with it. And then I am, uh, sad to say, that I did not take that Polaroid because I would have treasured it. I would have gotten it set in hard glass or something like my, that. My, so my biggest thing about about that was the Samoan War Club. Okay, from oh, the yeah. Curse of Lono. Yes, I had it in my goddamn hands <laughs> because he put it he put it on a bookshelf in the living room. I had it in my hands, my like the fourth or fifth time I was ever there. I had it in my hands, uh, and every, people were doing other things, and I'm like. Just leave. Just run with it. Just don't even get your damn car. Just run down the road. Leave <laughs> with this. And then years later, people will be like, there was that time this local newspaper editor stole the Samoan War. I had it. I had the, not a replica, not blah, blah, blah. I had it in my hands. And it was it was just Gorgeous, you know. It's like and there was so much of that stuff, man. His place was like a museum. I mean, there was. But again, I I, I want to save this for the for hunter oh, gatherers yeah, podcast because like, I'm going to be I'm going to be no, doing. No, no, we'll just cut this and drop yeah, it in. Yeah, I'm going to be doing some stuff on that podcast as well. So it's coming up soon. It's going to launch. Look for it, hunter gatherers. Uh, the the fine folks at Rhino Films who did Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and they're also doing the the new uh, up the new hunter project in the works called the curse of lono based on hunter's book of same title directed by steve pink fucking awesome director but now while i have you here curtis i want to uh do a little thing we have here on the show it's a regular feature uh, where i introduce people to some new products that need to be on their radar you like to know about stuff you right you you like you want to know what's happening in the world of adult beverages right curtis so right in front of you there you got that thing look at that that's the um the nomad cocktail book it's a good-looking book, right? It's a gorgeous book. Yeah, by Leo Robeshek. Uh, this is a revised standalone edition of the Nomad Cocktail Book. There, they did originally publish it. There was a, it was inside of the Nomad Cookbook. So this is a standalone version of Nomad Cocktail Book. It's got a hundred brand new recipes. So that brings there's over three hundred recipes in total. Hundred of them are brand new. It also gets into the art of drink making, according to the Nomad, which you know is a hotel originated in New York City, and now there's out in L.A. and Vegas, and they employ the best bartenders in the world. There's uh, full color cocktail illustrations, and it it they organize the beverages from aperitifs to classics, light, dark, soft, syrup infusions. It's great. 
they, you know, a lot of classically focused cocktails. And then they got some new arenas like uh, large format drinks, punches, that sort of thing. Reserve cocktails with rare spirits. I think it's a great holiday gift idea for any cocktail lover or aspiring mixologist on your gift list. Also, Dirty Sue. Dirty Sue. In addition to being my late beloved grandma's nickname, Dirty Sue is also the name of a brand of bottled premium olive juice. And it was created by my good friend, bartender Eric E.T. Tekoski. He created that at the legendary Los Angeles eatery, Jones Hollywood. You've been to Jones, right, Curtis? I have, you, I it's, have. it's a spot, right? It's, it, I only get in there when I'm with you. That's right. Jones, anybody that's been to Hollywood, been to Jones, you know, like they've got all the Jack Daniels uh, bottles up on the wall. It's kind of famous for that. And E.T. is now the national brand ambassador for Jack Daniels. So anyway, he's still got Dirty Sue going. And this month, him and his crew, they launched Dirty Sue Whiskey Cherries. And these are the plumpest cocktail cherries on the market. And by the way, I do not recommend Googling the words Dirty Sue Whiskey Cherries from any work computer. You just don't know what's going to pop up. Um, The Whiskey Cherries and Dirty Sue are Stardust Cherries. You know what Stardust Cherries are, Curtis? Yes, they're cherries that are uh, dusted with the the essence of the stars. That's right. Now did you know that? Because I'm smart. I, 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 smart. I, can, I can deconstruct these That's the whiskey talking. So these Stardust cherries are from the Pacific Northwest. Mm. They're big cherries. Big, fat cherries. They have a skin that pops with the first bite. And all right, eat. all right, all right. Yeah, all right. No, it's getting a little... Easy, getting, easy, I'm getting easy, a little easy, steamy easy, in here. Easy. So uh, E.T., Bathe these cherries in this cherry juice that he's infused with Tennessee and Kentucky whiskeys. And what? 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 Yeah, he, yeah they, these whiskeys, these are soaked in some whiskey, these cherries. Tennessee and, uh, and Kentucky whiskeys together. Together at last. Together at last. That's kosher. never happened before. No, no. And they're kosher certified, gluten free. That's important to people out here in California. Uh, they are available on Amazon.com, DirtySue.com. It's seventeen ninety five for a 16th ounce jar that includes shipping and these things are great in a manhattan and to that end i'm gonna give you a manhattan recipe because kurt i don't think curtis knows how to make a manhattan do you i do not i right. I, I know how to fly to manhattan all right well of course you do you're you're a man of the you're a jet setter so two ounces of your favorite american whiskey uh the, the folks at dirty sue recommend jack daniels single barrel select because Jack Daniels writes checks to E.T. I understand, of, yeah. I understand yeah. that. But you could, as a Kentucky boy, you could, in a pinch, yeah. if you were like on an island deserted, you, you could use a Kentucky whiskey. You could. Absolutely. All you right, could all absolutely right, good, do that. Good, good, good. Uh, so it's two ounces of the whiskey, an ounce of sweet vermouth. You want to make it some quality sweet vermouth. And two ounces, or two dashes, excuse me, of bitters. You're going to stir those ingredients until they're cold and wet enough for your taste, strain it into a chilled cocktail glass, and you finish it with one of those Dirty Sioux whiskey cherries and maybe a little, little bit of that cherry juice drop in there. Come along for the ride. Okay. Final new product I'm going to tell you about. We mentioned football season is over, but it's not. Well, but, uh, you know what else? It may be more over for some than others. Yeah, exactly. If you're a uh, yeah, if you're a Jets fan or a uh, Miami Dolphins fan or Cincinnati Bengals fan, it's over. All right, uh, but basketball season has started, and I know you love basketball, Curtis. You are a basketball fan. I'm from Kentucky. Basketball is a religion. It's a religion. So yeah. this uh, this is a company called Pearl Street Caviar. It's a 
sustainable direct-to-consumer brand. They're based in Brooklyn, of course, because everything's in Brooklyn. And uh, they have, they're doing these branded caviar tins for the NBA. So they sent me one. It's getting 76ers because that's my team. Philadelphia 76ers is my team. You know this. We're going to win the NBA championship. So they sent me this. But they've got, they, they work with this farm uh, in Central Asia, and they, they've got this ethically raised sturgeon. None of, these sturgeon were not abused, okay? Well, you know, just know that. No, no beating up on the sturgeons. I, was, I, was, I wasn't going to make any allegations of abuse against your sturgeon. The sturgeons have not been armed in the making of this caviar. Uh, so they've got two varieties. They've got the Siberian Select, and these are the delicate pearls from naturally raised Siberian sturgeon, and they've got Kaluga, not to be confused with Beluga. And that's this bold row from the carnivorous sturgeon native to the Amur River. Do you know where the Amur River is, Curtis? Do you know where that is? It's near the Amur song that Jimmy Dale Gearmore wrote in 86, I think. Uh, That's probably it. The Amur River, stupid, (laughs) is the world's 10th longest river forming the border between the Russian Far East and Northeastern China. See, see, and I'm not reading that off of Wikipedia, by the way. See, don't don't see, think that, that for a second. That's where I draw the line. I know the top five rivers, but after that, I just don't give a damn. Well, that's the stuff. Pearl Street Caviar, you can follow them at, at Pearl Street Caviar on the social medias. And you know what? I'm going to use that as a little segue uh, because let's. I want to roll into this interview. I met uh, Pearl. That is her name. Pearl is a performer musician she's amazing i met her at bourbon and beyond in kentucky big festival music and bourbon festival there got to chat with her pearl grew up performing with her father you know her father is curtis do you know i don't i don't would you care to venture a guest a guest on who just take a guess at any anybody her father could be her name's pearl let me give you a hint yeah i'm gonna go with meatloaf Really? Yeah, I think Meatloaf. How'd you know? I heard. (laughs) And let's not get sued. All right, there it is. There's a certain amount you can play (laughs) where you don't get sued. Um, But anyway, Pearl is hashtag fair use. Fair use. Uh, Pearl is Meatloaf's daughter. She she performed with him for almost a decade. Uh, She was a backup singer for Motley Crue. She co-organized the hard rock group Motor Sister with her husband, Scott Ian. Do you know who Scott Ian is? What's Scott I, Ian's I brand? I do not. I do not. Anthrax, man. Come oh, on. Anthrax, really? Yeah. She, her husband, Scott Ian from Anthrax. She's been on Late Night with Seth Meyers, Jimmy Kimmel. She's done it, man. And she's cool. And she's been performing lately with these country stars, Cody Jicks and Moore Davis. Um, she's got this great album called Heartbreak and Canyon Revelry. And that's out now where fine music is sold. And let's, you want to listen to this interview with Pearl, Curtis? Would we'll sip some whiskey while we do this? I would. Let's go. All right, let's do it. Here we go. This is me talking to Pearl in Louisville, Kentucky, which also happens to be whereabouts Curtis You know from. the, uh, go ahead. you yeah. know the joke? No. How do you pronounce, the Louisville, Louisville thing? Yeah. How do you pronounce the capital of Kentucky? Is it Louisville or Louisville? Frankfurt. All right, I've told you the joke. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got to get some new material, buddy. All right, here we go. This is Pearl. And give a listen. Coming at you from Bourbon and Beyond, 
It's a festival. They have bourbon, and they have beyond. And the beyond, I would assume, are all the incredible musical artists that are here today. And I have one sitting here with me. Her name is Pearl. Pearl, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. We, uh, it, it's it's very warm here in Kentucky. And it's a little warm. Yeah. You and I, you live out in, in Southern California, as do I. Yes. And we bitch about California, but this is. This is a different kind of heat. Well, we have dry. We live in a desert. We yeah. live in a drought. It's like a hair dryer where we live outside. This is more like a steam bath. It really is. It gets to be like by the. I, I remember I did Bourbon Beyond two years ago, and by the end of every day, I felt like I went about fifteen rounds with the champ. You know, <laughs> it is. It beats you down. But anyway, you you opened the show today here at Bourbon Beyond. Yes. Did a, a rousing set. You also played last night. We caught you last night. I was waving to you. Weren't waving back. Oh. But we saw you. You were on the mall in in downtown Louisville, uh, Fourth Street Live. Fourth Street Live, rocking it out. Um, That's right. So, tell us about the experience here, and are you enjoying yourself so far. I am enjoying myself. Our experience here is just that. We flew in, and then we played Fourth Street Live last night. We played an hour, nine to ten last night, out on the. Is it like the main, it's like the center of the city, you know, it's like where all the the stuff is, you know, Hard Rock Cafe is there, everything's there. It's like the Grove of Louisville. That's right. (laughs) Third Street Promenade, shall we? That's it. Um, It was fun. It was really a lot of fun. You know, we made a lot of noise that PA was really loud, apparently, Um, but it sounded great and, and we got sweaty and we played some rock and roll and people liked it and that's all that's all you got to do right you did that you do and you did it here today too you do the cover of the faces yes uh, stay with me and i just think in the pantheon of rock songs that just are awesome live because a you get to rock out you get but then the band gets to let loose at the end when they yes. do that everybody gets to showcase you get the guitar solo the drum solo the piano solo it's such a and it's such the crowd just really got up today for that too everybody gets up for that song everybody digs it yeah. i think would you have you gotten this before when i'm listening to you i'm getting kind of like a suzy quattro vibe have wow ever, i'll take it right like Thanks. that's the first thing i thought i was like man love her and love you, her and, hair and you have a right Which, <laughs> wasn't she on uh, like happy days or something she Two was days, pinky tuscadero Tusca, and that was the hair wasn't she? She was. She was. She was Pinky yeah. Tuscadero. Or Leather? Leather. No, she was, she was leather, leather Tuscadero. Pinky was somebody... Uh, Pinky was her sister, maybe? Yeah, not as cool. Leather was the cooler one. Le- well, come on. Her name is Leather. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Have you ever met a Leather in your life? Yeah. I've never met a Leather. Burlap. I know a guy named Burlap. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm joking about that. Speaking of knowing, I, so when we were setting this up, uh, your, uh, your publicist said, uh, yeah, you know, in... You, you married to Scott Ian from Anthrax, and so being an asshole like I am, I wrote back and I said, "Do you mean this Scott Ian?" It was a picture of of Scott and I from uh, this thing they did on the pier in Santa Monica, the comedy uh-huh. thing, Festival Suprema. Oh yeah, yeah, I was that? there that day. Yes. Yeah. So we had a, we, I probably met you then because we had a mutual friend, and Scott's standing there. And it's oh, like, yeah. oh, this is Scott. And I'm like, yeah, I know who the fuck it is. Yeah, right? I was probably you know, like, standing off on the side. Probably right there. And that yeah. was an amazing thing. That was fun. That was Tenacious D's Ten- festival, Jack right? Jack Black did it. it. It'll never happen again because apparently we all almost died. Like these structural engineers came in and said the pier, there was so much weight on the pier. Oh, I it, can only imagine. It could have fallen down. Yeah. Day. 
Yeah. Well, I'm glad I didn't know when I was standing on it. <laughs> no kidding, right? There were, think about it. There were thousands of people out and there on the pier. all that equipment and all of this. And Staging I'm like, and the... Oh, yeah. They're like, this is never... No festival of this scope is ever <laughs> happening again on this pier. But it was a great day. And so how did you meet Scott? How'd that come around? Funny you ask. Well, no, actually, I, I met Scott when I was out singing and dancing with Motley Crue in 2000. Okay. I got a job. I got a story uh, for you there, too, but go ahead. I'll tell you that story <laughs> shortly. I got a job on the Maximum Rock Tour in 2000. Um, you know how the Motley Crue used to have the nasty habits? Yeah. Well, we came on, we were hired, me and this other girl, and we were the crew sluts. After the Zappa song, right? By the so, way, that's not happening anymore. These are the good old. You can never have that again. The group, no, you know, I don't think so. Yeah, this was in the again. year 2000, so yes. it wasn't that long ago. It was okay but still, then. it was different, yeah. I think. Yeah. But I wore my my cowgirl hat that said slut on the front in glitter with pride. <laughs> I grew up loving Motley Crue, and I still do. And I used to save my allowance and buy all the heavy metal magazines and cut out tiny pictures of Nikki Six and Tommy Lee and paste them on my wall and then suddenly in the year 2000 I found myself on stage with them Same. every night in a nasty nurse costume or a rubber cop mini dress or you know a cat and nine tails and bikinis with flames up the boobs and yeah, I loved I, it. I'm Googling, by I, the way. Oh, you as, have we, to. as we sit here, I'm Googling. Actually, looked up, look up the video, the live video, Lewd, Crude, and Tattooed. That's us live in Salt Lake City. Okay, I'm going to check that I'm out. The, I'm the one in the blonde wig. It was a different time, man. You remember, like, <laughs> Nikki Six would die, like, every couple of weeks. Remember, he would die. And they'd be like, Nikki Six is dead. They brought him back from a drug overdose. I think that only happened once. <laughs> was it? So I'll tell you a quick story about Tommy. Uh, I, my, uh, one of my very best friends produced a show called Rockstar. The first year was Rockstar in Excess. Yeah. Yes, and yes. then the second year was Rockstar Supernova. They made That's up right. a band. I watched that. And Tommy was on the show. This I was remember. when Tommy was uh, he was drinking a bit back in those days. What? I know, crazy. So I had this amazing, in my first book, Nobody Likes Quitter, I, I actually recount this, having a heart-to-heart -heart with Tommy at one of the after parties, and two beautiful tidbits he said. One was, we were drunk. And so I brought up the sex tape with Pam Anderson, and I just said, hey, man, like, kudos, dude, because, you know, he's got a... He's got a big Johnson. And this is what he said straight up. He goes, it hurts when I jog. <laughs> it hurts when that I jog. That should be a t-shirt. That should be a bio. That's just a bio. <laughs> and then uh, the autobiography. And then the other one was, he was telling me about when he first knew that he was famous. And he said, dude, because that's how Tommy talks, bro. You know, like the first time I knew I was famous. He said, we're in the band. Call my man. I got a, I got a copy of Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue. I looked at one of the models. I called my agent and I said, I want to go out with her. And I was out with her the next night. And he was and out. He goes, and that was the moment I was like, I'm famous. When you can open a magazine and pick, you just go shopping. You just go right? shopping. And I guess the final thing I want to touch on speaking of fame, and how you, you are Meatloaf's daughter. I am. You are Meatloaf's daughter, and you actually toured with him back in the day, right? Yes. How amazing was that? It was the most amazing. It was one of the best educations that I could ever ask for, being that I want to be up on a stage as well, you know? Getting to not only watch him perform and him command the stage every night, but then also learning how to be on stage myself and being on stage and, and, and uh, you know, working in a professional capacity like that. He treated me like a band member. He never treated me like, I never got special you being coddled. treatment. Yeah. Never. He had such a, he has, I mean, the voice, just one of the most uh, 
I guess, distinctive voices in, in the history of popular music, but also what a performer. Like, he didn't he start on Broadway? He was, what was he in, like, uh, well, he Jesus started Christ Shakespeare, Superstar? Shakespeare in the yeah. Park. He was in Hair. Hair, that's and it. And the original Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, yeah, he started out wanting to be an actor, and then he met Jim Steinman and, and, and fell into the music. But it made sense with Jim Steinman's music, Bad Out of Hell, is so theatrical and so dramatic yeah. that Dad really lent to that. They, it worked perfectly together. So, you know, the rest is history. Well, you can see, you, you know, where you get it from because you have you have a really great stage presence. You, you're you're having a great time out up there, and it and it just it just rubs off on the audience. I, everybody was rocking out to you last night and today at Bourbon Beyond. And I really want to thank you, Pearl, for taking the time to thank talk you. to us. And I'm going to go try to find a pool or a tub of ice. <laughs> By the way, well, you got to see this. I'm doing this interview, right? We got whiskey on the table. We're here. Pearl looks immaculate. You've got your amazing outfit. I, I, there's not a bead of sweat on you, and I'm like a you know Catholic priest at a Boy Scout convention. It's all under right now. my I'm clothes. Like, I am sweating. <laughs> I'm, it's hot, and I apologize for that. You're probably looking at me going, "This is weird." Uh, but anyway, I, I do want to thank you for coming on the show, and and thank you for kicking ass today on stage, and, and keep doing that. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, Pearl. so much. Thank you. Thanks. She's good, right? Oh, wow. Man, wow. you gotta go. That's, that is Be Your Own Horses from Heartbreak and Canyon Revelry. Go get that. All right, we're back. We're back, Curtis. That was a good interview, right? I like her, man. She's super cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, 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 that's a tremendous song. I want to put that song together with our, our buddy Wayne Ewing. You should talk it. into the microphone a little bit more. There All right. Sorry. 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 Get up there. I wander away, you know, but you know, it's that, uh, I, I think, I think about the, the, the horse analogy for all of our friends, like, uh, Wayne Ewing and, and the guys who do the, uh, uh, polo stories. All right. That was a ramble. So we'll just yeah. break that off. We'll break that off. By the way, we've now switched whiskeys. Uh, we went from the Michters now to the Four Roses. We're sticking with our Kentucky thing. We're going with the Four Roses. It's the 2018 limited edition small batch barrel strength. And this as uh, it's a sort of a blend of a 13 and a 10, a 14 and a 16 year old, and uh, I'm digging it. What do you think? That's one of the best whiskeys in the history of man. It's good How stuff, right? All right, all right, all right. Aren't you excited that Matthew McConaughey's on the show next week? Uh, uh, more more than probably I should be more, more you, know, <laughs> you know it was that thing it's that thing when you're in Aspen it's like uh, there was the Aspen thing where it's like you become a kind of immune to celebrities because they're everywhere all the time and you're covering them and it's like yeah the hell with them but if there's one guy that you like you go fanboy about or shit it's it's like you know, Robin Williams came in and took a classified ad out of the Aspen Daily News one day, and I'm like, I just went completely insane. Did you go like this? Ah! Not at first, no. <laughs> I've been trying to work the scream in a lot to the show because 
it is Halloween. It is. It is. It is. Which is scary. It is Halloween. But my 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 point would be Matthew McConaughey, man. And, you know, it's like, uh, yeah. By the way, in honor of Halloween, can we do this? Can we do this? Scary. Think about putting your voice over it. Looking in the lab late one night, when my eyes beheld an eerie sight. Nah, there can be no you know co- the only thing be- scarier than that song is getting sued for playing that song. Because you know, right now they're like, this thing's probably not. This is the only time of year. This and that family's got to be like, you know what? Let let's monitor. Let's monitor the podcast. Let's monitor the airwaves. Let's monitor it. And anybody plays this song, we're suing them. This is little Jimmy's tuition right <laughs> this now. This is when they get their money. Um, so anyway, we got another. We got another interview. I want to. We're gonna knock out right here. And that this is um, another from this is from the South here, Kurt from the South band. Is that is that uh, is that untoward for me to do that? Hick-like accent. I'm talking about this. It's not. Uh, okay. Appalachian Americans have been accustomed to your abuse for many, many years, <laughs> and uh, the retribution is coming. It is coming. I think it's already come. He's in the White House. Uh, anyway, so uh, Mipso is the band. Mipso is from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. They are part of the musical genre known as Americana. Well, you know, they, they, uh, I've spent a lot of time, as you know. Uh, yeah. In North Carolina recently, I'm making a film about competitive barbecue. You want, what's the name of that movie going to be called? You know, the working title is Smell Test. Um, that but sounds we, like something a 16 year old boy does after he's just had his first. Hey guys, come over. Oh, that's yeah, right? but no, I cut no, that out. Cut no, that no, out. no, cut oh, that my out. Come goodness, for, for, for the Jesus love of God, God, no. But you know what? There's I, some I great music that, down there, and uh, uh, I've actually not heard this. And I'm looking forward to it. Mipso. Mipso's cool, man. They I met these guys at Bourbon Beyond. Again, we're the same place I met uh, Pearl. And I wasn't really familiar with them before that. But, I mean, they've got a song like this one right here. This, this, this little track right here. right there and i'm thinking they won't sue me because they're on the show that's a song uh that they do called people change and it's from their most recent album edges run and it was in the john lithgow movie the tomorrow man song came out i don't know a year or two ago and it's got like 50 million streams on spotify 50 million you know how many streams my podcast has on as Spotify? Soon, as soon as this is over, it'll have 50 million in one. 50 million that's a great one, song, man. Yeah. It's so anyway, Mipso, uh, really like these guys. And uh, let's, let's, let's roll into that interview right now. All right. We are at Bourbon and Beyond in Kentucky. It's moist. I'm not going to lie to you. It's kind of moist here, Bourbon and Beyond. I do have a hanky keep myself from sweating all over uh, my guests. Uh, and my guests are Joseph Terrell, 
Jacob Sharp. They're with Mipso. They're out of North Carolina, and Mipso is performing here at Bourbon Beyond. How's it going? We're doing great, man. Thanks for having us. It's good to be back at Bourbon and Beyond. Jacob, good to hear from you now. Let's go over to Joseph. Joseph, what do you think? Hey, got? hey, this is what my voice sounds like. All hey, right. You guys are killing it. So you guys are, you guys are, how would you describe your style of music? You know, we're from North Carolina, and I think we fit in with that state's tradition of music, but we're definitely, while we've learned a lot from some of the old time and bluegrass that comes from that part of the world, uh, we're not recreating old stuff. We're kind of just playing our version of it, doing doing new music. Okay. And you guys met at the University of North Carolina, correct? Yeah, that's right. While we were students, not studying music, um, all of us studied different stuff. You're just mutual friends, and we kind of connected initially over kind of digging into North Carolina traditions and to modern songwriting. We were like, maybe we should try and do some of this together. And Yeah. It, not that it was a joke, but like, it was just for fun. And uh, yeah, now we're eight years and like a thousand shows in. Yeah. So we've, we've been doing both the fun and the not fun parts of it. Have you, you, so you guys played here at the initial Bourbon and Beyond. Yeah, we did. It's obviously grown uh, a little huge, bit man. since, yeah. man. But do you have a, do you enjoy yourself that first year out here? We did, yeah. We got to see uh, uh, Steve Miller Band and uh, Eddie Vedder doing his, one of his ukulele shows. It was amazing. It's now, cool. It's all the stuff that we just wouldn't come in, in contact with because we're always playing our own shows. You know? Yeah. It's if cool. you remember, Eddie took a shot of whiskey yeah, that's right. and spit it out. Remember, he couldn't, uh, <laughs> he, right. he did it to, and people were booing him. <laughs> well, you know, I, I respect somebody up on a stage that big being honest about how they're feeling, whatever that may take. You yeah. Know, it was his, it was his almost whiskey shot. That's great. Um, so you guys, we were talking about this actually off the air. So uh, uh, our producer here is from Sweden. You guys said you, you're, you're very popular over in Europe. I don't know if we're very popular, but extremely popular. We're big in Sweden. We're big in Sweden. Yeah, we were we were actually in Sweden for a month last year, and this year is ending with a month in Europe. We're kind of all over the UK, France, Netherlands, Austria, Germany, yeah, Sweden, Norway. So we're kind of bouncing around a lot this time. But yeah, there's there's a I would say a lot of appreciation and love across the continent for kind of the type of music we make and the type of songwriters we are and we have known about that for a long time because you see like the Spotify numbers and people commenting on social media but yeah you guys have like 50 million one song had like 50 million streams right I'm pretty sure it's billion I think it's 50 billion billion yeah. streams I think every human listens to it yeah. we are the so, Billie Eilish of bluegrass it is kind of crazy man like you guys meet at in college and now you got what four albums out right yeah, that's and, right. and you're, you're, you got millions and millions and millions of, of listens on, on Spotify I'm sure you do you ever like? Do you ever stop when you're, especially when it's something like this, and you stop and you go, "We're playing the same festival as the Foo Fighters. We're playing the same festival as John Fogerty, as uh, you know, all the bands that are out here." Totally. I mean, and I would say it's not just the like highs of seeing your name mentioned with some of your heroes. It's it's like like last night we were in Bowling Green, Kentucky, a place that we've never been. There are a ton of deep fans who like already had every record and brought them to get signed. And there's lots of moments where it's easy to stop and be appreciative of just people connecting with the thing that you're creating the thing that means so much to you because that's I think whether you're making music or doing something else that's what all of us want to a certain degree is like to hear from somebody I'm like you and I appreciate what you're doing and and we we feel that in a lot of ways yeah Joseph yeah I mean it also feels like you know you you hustle all year in the van and go from place to place and you can you can uh get bogged down in like the day-to-day logistics of where you're going and, and and the summertime festivals and this one's a great example it's a good chance to like pick your head out of the sand and just be like, you know what, this is just fun. I, I, this is not a place I would just like wake up on a normal day. You'll get to see great music, walk around, 
uh, an experience of kind of like just a festival atmosphere, you know? It's yeah. like icing on the cake. It's now, nice. I, I got to ask you, Joseph, I, I notice you're wearing a splint on your finger. Is that a splint or is yeah. that what happened? Uh, and you're a guitar player. I'm a guitar. Thankfully, it's my right hand. It's my right middle finger. Um, I dropped something on my finger. Actually, we can talk about alcohol in the, on this program. The show is called What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. Yes. This is what I thought. We Man, should this is, be talking this is about the story alcohol I need on to this be show. Telling. Yes. All right, let's hear it. I was the other night hanging out with some friends. Uh, and I was reaching for the, on the very top shelf. I'm not a very tall guy, so I was really reaching to try to get a whiskey glass down to pour a, a glass. And it's one of those really thick glass-bottomed, you know, hefty whiskey glasses. And instead of picking it up with my hand, yeah. my little baby fingers just uh, tipped it over, and it fell all the way down to the counter and smashed my finger. And so, like, the very tip of my finger is fractured. So I'm going to guess... You'd already had some whiskey because it seems like your reaction time. What's that thing falling through space? Should I move my hand? No, yeah, was, I'll leave it there. I just watched it soar through the air towards my <laughs> Look index. Look at that! Area. Flight! But it wasn't whiskey, right? You were drinking a dry Chenin Blanc? <laughs> That's true, right? Okay, this is after my dry Chenin Blanc with the snapper I grilled. So, yeah. We just, actually, tequila, tequila. We just had a podcast where they gave us, our podcast interview where they gave us a shot of whiskey, and they are like, what do you think? And we are like... It's fine for whiskey, but we like like weird natural wines and light beer and tequila. So we're we've kind of ride in that okay. zone. And as far as what we're drinking, that's that's it. Yeah, I wrote so I wrote a book called American Wino where I drove around the United States and North Carolina actually, especially the northern part of the state, uh, has a very vibrant wine uh, fifth, scene going the fifth on. The largest up there. wine producing state in the country. Crazy, it's crazy. Man. The yeah. Yadkin Valley, it's it's beautiful. Yadkin Valley, that's great. Yeah. So you went to the Yadkin Valley? I did. Yeah, I went to. Uh, I can't remember now. I've been drinking a lot in my life. That's cool. But uh, one of the biggest wineries in the state is just over the border in North Carolina. If you said the name, I'd know it. Uh, and then I went down, and I also went to a couple of cider producers oh, cool. while I was there. And I actually, not no offense to the people who work really well in the wine industry in North Carolina, but I think the ciders are what are becoming really cool because yeah. there's all these like heirloom apples that you know are kind of like hard to find and hard to appreciate and hard to sell and buy but they make amazing dry ciders and people are finding that out and bringing them to the market which is cool it's a tough you know and obviously the climate's changing so we'll see what happens but north carolina is right on the cusp of being impossible to grow vinifero which are the traditional grape varietals so as you go further south you're going to get a lot of these hybrid grapes that they do down in florida and you know north carolina totally yeah but 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 also an insane wine history, or piece of wine history, in that the rootstock of native grapes in North Carolina are what all the Europeans in the late 19th century had to plant their vines into because of, I forget the name of it, the disease that they had going Phylloxera. through. Phylloxera. That's right. Yeah. But so there's kind of a crazy connection of what we think of as like the pristine, high quality European wines are all coming like truly from the ground of North Carolina roots. It's, it's amazing. It's pretty wild. It's amazing. And I should have had this guy with me when I was doing the book. He's a great wine Would have been man. a lot better. I think yeah. <laughs> if our music ended yet tomorrow, Jacob would be doing great in the wine world, I think. I w yeah. We'll take a road trip someday. We'll, we'll do, do we'll it. Do American Wine, wine 02. Two. American Wine 02. <laughs> Jacob's coming along with me. So one last question here. What are you guys, beyond your playing today, it's Friday, are you going to stick around or are you guys out of here after this? Man, I wish we could. We're playing a cool festival in Indianapolis tomorrow, but we're going to soak it up tonight. Tonight, you're looking forward to yeah. Foo Fighters and Fogarty? Foo Fighters, Fogarty, and uh, Flaming Lips. Flaming Lips. Li live, too. We got live. I love those yeah, guys, live. Yeah, man. Live, yeah. the hardest band to Google. 
I haven't seen. I saw. <laughs> they really are. I saw the Flaming Lips 16 years ago at my first music festival, and I haven't seen them since. Oh wow! And I am pumped. It's did he go be out? Awesome. And, did he go out in the ball? He goes out, and the singer goes out in this beyond ball, the ball. It was and, even more than that. He like six hours before their set. This was at a all good music festival when it was still in West Virginia. He came out of the ball. There was like a sloping main field leading to these woods. He came out of the woods in the ball, rolled down the hill, was picked up by the crowd and carried to the front of the stage while another band was playing. So he completely disrupted another band set for like 10 minutes, got to stage, made them hand him a microphone. And he said, 9 p.m. be here. Oh, and I my. was like, I was 13. I was like, who the <laughs> this hell is guy, this? I will follow you to the yeah, ends of the I'll earth. Go. That is amazing. So well, I'm, I'm I followed him and I'm here. I'm ready. I'm glad you guys got to, to see them. Uh, you got to follow Mipso. Where were you guys on the uh, on the social medias? Can All of them, yeah. It's Mipso, M-I-P-S-O. We're the only thing called that. All right. And we're going to come over and watch your set today. Awesome. It's great to meet you. Jacob, Joseph, thanks for joining us and have a great day thanks at Bourbon and Beyond. We had two bags of grass. 75 pellets of mescaline, five sheets of high-powered blotter acid, a salt shaker half full of cocaine, a whole galaxy of multicolored uppers, downers, screamers, laughers, also a quarter tequila, quarter rum, case of beer, pint of raw ether, and two dozen amols. Not that we needed all that for the trip, but once you get locked into a serious drug collection, the tendency is to push it as far as you can. Girl with the line, sweet Jesus. My, I, I just have such a lovely voice. Uh, so I'll stop it there. Uh, that was from the movie Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And Curtis Robinson, who is with me, uh, is doing a new podcast for the fine folks who produced that movie. Rhino Films are also behind his new podcast, Hunter Gatherers, which is coming soon. Everywhere podcast. Scream. Uh, what is Scream? Hold on, let me have some more whiskey. Everywhere's that. <laughs> it's funny how you get more articulate. I, you know, man, it's that point in the show where I yes, it is. have a, it's like, it's like the first day with a new mouth. You it's, know, it's, like, it's, I just haven't quite got it all worked the out. The name of the show is not what we're not drinking. <laughs> no. That'll be our next show. <laughs> what we're not drinking. What we're no longer able well, to drink. What we're no longer drinking. If we were drinking, this is what we would have. Look for my upcoming podcast, The 12 Steps with Dan Dunn. Uh, anyway, so Curtis, uh, you you said, did you say, did I imagine that you had a story about what no, we no, just no. listened to? I okay. have a story. Here's the thing. I have a, it's it's why I'm, I'm doing a podcast about 100 stories is I have a story about everything. One of the stories is that when when I started working with Hunter in the 90s, let's just say, um, one of my obsessions was, because I was coming from a classic journalism background, I was editor of the, uh, the Aspen Daily News, I was like, and I, I've given this up, but but at the time, my, my thing was, what's true and what's not? What's real? You know. So, so... In the course of working on his first letters book, I found this. This, I, I when Curtis says the letters book, there's a Hunter had a, several books that we, he was a prodigious letter writer, and he kept everything he ever wrote. The first book was a collection of these letters called, and it was called the Proud Highway. Yes, and I worked I worked extensively on that, and I was I was there all the time. I was like a a, a, a gym rat, except my gym was Hunter Thompson's house, and. Um, I found these lists. Okay. And it was list of drugs, car, list of drugs, 
room. Okay. And I'm like, why, why, why would you ride this? <laughs> First off, like, what the hell are you thinking? And, and, and it, it was exactly the thing that was in the book. That, well, this is the thing, man. Heard. People think, this is the thing. They think that he was, and he was fucked up a lot of the times. He did do a lot. I mean, this was, there was no act. There was no artifice there. I mean, he was doing those drugs. He was drinking like that, and especially later in life. Well, not especially later in life. Let's just say all through his life. But he was also extremely meticulous about chronicling oh, yeah. oh, everything oh, oh, oh. he did because he knew it was going to be worth something to do it. And if there's one thing that Hunter really, really liked was making money off of his, off of his stuff, you know, and, and, uh, he kept it all down. He no, it's the whole thing. He said, he said, you know, if you're, if you're going to be this weird, you got to get paid for it. Or you're going to, you're going to jail. Yeah. You're going to get locked up. Exactly. And, and you can Google that. Uh, that's it. That is a, uh, quote. so I think that's probably a good place to end. I, I want to thank you, Curtis Robinson for joining us and, and for doing hunter gatherers podcast. I, I think any fan of the good doctor, is going to be excited about this Gonzo-esque entry to the world of podcasts. It's the it's the 752nd thousand podcast release this year, but it's the only one about Hunter Thompson. It's the only one about Hunter Thompson's stories. About and the- and we're all about stories because after all we're professionals, right? We are we are nothing else if not professional. Uh, I can barely speak anymore, but I also want to thank Pearl She's amazing. Check her out. And I want to thank the boys from Mipso for coming on the show. I want to thank you, as always. And I want to leave you with a quote. And, of course, who else could we quote at the end of this show except the good doctor? And this is from his uh, seminal work, The Great Shark Hunt. And I'll try to do it in my hunter voice. Oh, God. I've learned to live, as it were, with the idea that I will never find peace and happiness either. But as long as I know there's a pretty good chance I can get my hand on either one of them, every once in a while, I do the best I can between high spots. Wait! We can't stop here. This is bat country. Who should I have with the sunshine acid? How long do I have? Your attorney, I advise you to drive at top speed. It'll be a goddamn miracle if we can get there before you turn into a wild animal. 30 minutes. It was going to be very close. Well, she's all you'd ever want. She's the kind I'd like to flaunt and take to dinner. She always goes her place She's got style, she's got grace She's always